0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe.
2: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Ed. Quick disclaimer usually, my partner Jennifer Kalari joins us at the top of the show, and we had some technical difficulties. It was like NASA in here. And so, she's going to join us a little bit later in the show. We have a very good one for you. Remember, we are the only podcast with major medical. So, sit back, relax and let's start the show. Okay, everybody, you cannot find anything like this anywhere. This is the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick. My co-host is Jennifer Kalari. She's licensed, so no need to worry. I am not, so plenty of need to worry. This is the show where comics and entertainers from all friends, oh, from all friends, all of our friends, talk about and practice mental health. You know, Jennifer is really a therapist and I'm really a comedian and what could possibly go right because mental health is a practice. Soon I'll stop explaining the show, but this mental health as a practice thing seems to be pretty new to a lot of people. And on today's show, we're going to talk about personal chaos, about overwhelm, about the election and how to deal with it. Now, we're brought to you by BetterHelp. I've had a lot of help in my life, which has led to my appointment as the head of the Department of Homeland and Security. We all need help sometime, and it's not easy to find the right therapist, and BetterHelp is e-counseling that connects you with a licensed, accredited therapist for your personality, style, and challenges. This is online therapy. It's from our couch to yours. And if we could license the Beatles song, It's Getting Better, we would play it right here. But we cannot... <laughs> But BetterHelp, it's getting better all the time. So, thanks to BetterHelp, chaos and overwhelm and the election, billions of people in the world are thinking chaotically, and not me too. The same thoughts over and over again, millions of times, those thoughts have become habits which turn into beliefs, which leads to unhappiness, disease, and chaos, and here we are. Now, I'm gonna share with you the way my thinking goes, and I'm lucky I live near the ocean and occasionally, I go on bike rides with my daughter by the water, and this is actually what's going on in my head while I'm riding my bike. Oh, I love riding my bike. This wind. Look at the sunlight on the water. It sparkles. Nothing like that ocean air. I am so bad for not meditating today. I'm just bad. I'm a bad person. My life is crap. And I'm a big piece of crap. If I don't make some money soon, I'm gonna have to move back in with my parents. And I'm 60, and they're dead. I love riding my bike. This wind. What if I don't make it? What if I'll never make it? This country is so crazy, I can't take it. I can't take the election. And I can't stop thinking about gluten-free donuts. Just get out of my head! Why is it so hard on Netflix to find anything? Every night, every night, it's like a search through the jungle. And I'm riding my bike. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's exactly how uh, that's, that's how my thoughts are every second of the day. You know, what, what happened to me is I did something the other day that Jennifer often talks about, she mentioned, is I woke up and I started thinking general thoughts about what felt good to me in the moment. The smell of coffee, the feeling of my pajamas, I like this table, very simple general thoughts. We have a general election coming up and I did this for a few minutes and it felt good and i wasn't attached to anything except what i was doing at the moment this general election coming up is all about chaos and overwhelm i was going to bring in jennifer and i will to talk to jennifer about is there a skill that we can use jennifer to deal with chaos and overwhelm and how to rewire our brain so that we can so that we can function better and sort of stop contributing to all the chaos cuz i feel like There's billions of people thinking like this, and it's led us to where we are. First of all, welcome back to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick, and Jennifer Kalari is here with me. Uh, Thank God she is. And we have two talented comedians. We have both fine stand-ups, terrific comedy writers, Chuck Sklar, an old friend, is an Emmy winner and an executive producer of the movie Tom of Your Life, now playing on Amazon, written and directed by Jeremy Sklar. They are related, but they are the other Sklar brothers. And that's who we listen to now. (laughs) Forget the other Sklar. These are the real Sklar brothers. And not that the others aren't great, too. Thank you, Ed. You're you're perfectly welcome. That's the voice. Chuck, you'll join us in a second. And Danielle Koenig, Danielle, also a comedy veteran, also a very good stand-up. And many shows and a number of films, and now writing. This is interesting to me on a show, a podcast for Rain Wilson's company, Soul Pancake, which I'm a big fan of. Welcome, guys. Welcome to both Thank of you. you. Good to have you. And and you know the election and chaos. Let me just ask, how are you dealing with it? How are you dealing with it, Chuck Danielle? Uh, Chuck, let's start with you. What like? How are you getting through this?
0: Well, it's crazy. yeah i'm not even in therapy right now which is which is challenging i'm living with my girlfriend we bought bikes so (laughs) i related to your bike riding story yeah and uh i'm running an online poker tournament i was hoping to get more writing done and i got i've got some done but i'm you know like a lot of people i've been cooking different things have helped me along the way but it definitely is challenging, and of course, with you know the pandemic, the election, everything exponentially, you know. But I, I'm here to tell you, I know it looks dire. Who's going to come out on top? Nobody knows. We're on the edge of our seats. Is there going to be rioting in the streets? But here's my prediction: the Dodgers will win the World Series.
2: <laughs> that's a good prediction, and that's really the only prediction we need. That's the classic um, in this direction, Ed. Yeah, that's a great, that is a, you went left, you went right. That's classic comedy right there. That's a lesson. And Danielle, now you, you have Oliver who is one of the sweetest kids I've ever met. Like there are kids and then there are kids, but Oliver, Oliver seems to be a very unique uh, person. He seems to be a very grounded uh, young person. So, you know,
3: he's very sweet and he's handling this very well, actually. Um, Because, you know, as kids in most cities, I don't know how many cities actually, but, you know, in Los Angeles, the kids are home. They're not at school. And um, so he's just, you know, on the computer all day. And he's he's finally, just now, finally, I think, getting a little bit uh, bored and um, frustrated with it.
2: When you watch the news, are you feeling yourself start to get, do you start to get like fight or flightish? Do you start to get... But yes. also there's an addictive quality to it. Have you noticed that? It's like you're hearing horrible things, but you kind of want to hear more about it.
3: Yes. I go through waves where I want to know everything. And then for a couple of days, I will sort of not be paying too much attention. And then I feel anxious when I've missed something. Like the whole story with the briefcase Um, the Hunter Biden briefcase thing. Like I never got a full grasp on what that was about. And I felt like there was an exam I hadn't prepared, prepared for, you know, just like, wait, what? There's just,
0: I never got that story either. I never, I, I ducked out during that one as well.
3: Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I just, it just, it's just overwhelming. And, and then there's also the feeling of, I guess, well, this will be over in a day anyway. And then it'll be something new and horrific. So what's?
0: Well, when you're if you if you're like me, you're watching the debates, and you are like, especially the first one. I was just like jumping out of my seat and running around the room. I couldn't be <laughs> sit still. It was like this is insane. How is that the president? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. I think that's a great title for a show. How is that the president? I think that some of the yeah. good moments, really interesting moments, is when Biden simply turned to the camera and just said look at him you know what he's doing and look right. at me
3: right although i was a little i was a little surprised in the first debate that biden was acting shocked by any of this i was like have you not been paying attention for the last 4 years this is what he does all the time like I, that's the only way i thought he was ill prepared was in the attitude
2: we're a country that's in a relationship in a in an abusive relationship with like a kid would be with their parent. Right. I mean with an abusive parent, like somebody who's, you know, addicted to something or an alcoholic or something like this. A, a parent who acts out and what's happening is we're like, okay, what's he going to do now? So we're all reacting to him, but it takes you off your it takes you off of what you want and what kind of a country you want and more right. about how are we going to survive this thing that's happening right now? So, and that's the same thing. Look at what he's doing with delegitimizing elections. It's so thin, it's so thinly veiled that you actually see him openly suppressing yeah. people. And he's openly suppressing the vote. And now we're aware of all of the, the suppression techniques and the things that they're trying to do. But what happens to your own mental health in this, your own thoughts are chaotic. You start getting very chaotic and very stressed. If he won't
0: accept the results. The police will take him out of the building. I mean, you know, we should stop worrying about that and just play our game.
3: Yeah. I haven't even gone to that place yet because I'm just so worried that he won't lose. That's just where I I can't even go mm-hmm. to the next step <laughs> of if he loses and he refuses to leave and there's riots. I mean, of course, I've thought about it, but...
2: Well, here's the good thing. I actually have a Civil War reenactment outfit. <laughs> um, and I got, I had one from the north, but I actually picked up one from the south, too. And what I do is I, <laughs> I wear them alternately because I don't know which, you know, whichever side I get. I guess I'll try, you know, because I want to look at things from both sides now. I want to look at from perspective. It was brother against brother.
3: Well, both sides.
2: Right. From right. both right. sides. I'm going to play the song Both Sides Now as I dress <laughs> in various uh, Civil War garb. <laughs> That's is what I'm asking you guys. When you start to get upset, when you start to get reactive, Mm -hmm. do you have like an early warning system that says, I'm going to, I know what works for me. I'm going to practice this behavior. Now I'm going to bring myself down. Or do you do it after the fact? Or do you, do you notice it? Do you notice when it's coming? And I'm talking about relating to media. Now you're watching something on television. You're listening to something on the radio. Do you monitor like what works for you? How do you that's what I'm saying? How do you get through that? My first thing I do is
0: I lean in hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I just go, let's get, oh, you want to get like George Costanza in that one episode? Of one episode <laughs> goes, oh, you want to get crazy? Let's get crazy. <laughs> right. So I just, I go, oh, okay. Uh, there's a super spreader event. Fantastic. Tell me more. Like, I just, I just get immersed, I go full immersion. And then and
2: then and then do you what do you do? You decompress after? Is that what you do? Well,
0: it is like, a yeah, then I'm like, I'm all keyed up. My girlfriend is like, yeah, you you can't take this so personally. I mean, you know, yeah, I I go for a lot of walks. Like there's a I walk the dog.
2: (laughs) Now, Danielle, is that is that what happens to you? I mean, you're watching with Jimmy, you're watching with your husband, um, or maybe you're not. Now, do you guys agree? Do you have discussions about it? Do you have different points of view?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, we have discussions. We're You know, we're basically on the same page about everything, but it does, it is good to have discussions, especially since we're not seeing any other adult people in our lives. It's not like there's any, there's just not a lot of conversation. There's Facebook conversation, I guess, but there's just not a lot of discussions because we're not seeing anybody. So yeah, it is very helpful. And, um, Yeah, I mean, sometimes he'll get really mad about a specific thing. And sometimes I'll get really mad about a different specific thing. You know, it's fun. We take turns being mad at specific things. I don't know. I've been reading a lot. So I kind of go from reading something serious and relevant to something fluffy. I go back and forth. And that's sort of, I guess, indicative of my attitude toward this. Like... I tweeted one day that I was reading stamped from the beginning while, and I got distracted because I was trying to figure out which of the real housewives of New York I would be friends with, which was exactly where I am right now. Like both of those things are happening at the same time. Like the dumbest of the dumb and the, you know, and the deep.
2: It's resentment week on the mental health comedy network tonight. It's I lost my phone and it's everyone's fault. Followed by, I wish everyone would get off my back. And then, on a very special Controlling Spouses, this lady puts her pants on one leg at a time because her husband is stepping on the other one. It all happens tonight on the Mental Health Comedy Network. Well, I you know, I see that Jennifer is here. I want to introduce you guys to Jennifer huh. Kalari. Jennifer, this is Danielle and Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Danielle talking about the election. We're talking about chaos. We're talking about chaotic thinking. We're talking about overwhelm and, and skills that you can use to deal with it. We've been talking a little bit about how they monitor themselves during watching the news and watching media and bringing themselves down and, or, or boosting their energy or however, mm. um, and if they're aware of it. But I guess I'm going to throw this out to the group. And the question is, what is mental health to you? What does that mean? When you you say, when people say mental health, what what does it look like for you?
3: Hmm. Hmm. I guess um, sort of not getting too obsessed with any one thing. Right. When you're at your happiest, what does that
2: feel like? What does that look like? Is there something that you're doing in particular or is it just a state of well-being or how how does it uh, kind of go with you?
0: I started playing tennis again recently mm-hmm. and it's great that, you know, the great thing about doing something like that is it's meditative. You're, you're concentrating on the task at hand of hitting the ball and, and returning the serve or whatever it is and plus you're physically moving around. So you just have a little, you know, your blood flowing. I'm not a scientist by the way. <laughs> I mean, you're very sciencey. I mean,
3: you're sure yeah. about the blood part?
0: No, come to think of it. Yeah. So okay. I find that, that I feel healthy mentally and physically when I'm doing that. And I agree with Danielle that not getting stuck on something, that's the hallmark of mental illness and <laughs> when you
3: can't yeah.
0: get something out of your head and be in repetitive thoughts and that kind of stuff that it's easy to get into. Some people have more trouble than others. Uh, and I've had different, at different points in my life, trouble with that kind of thing. Now I just, um, I don't think as much, so
2: it's easier. <laughs> well, you know what, you're right. I mean, that is an antidote to this is, is the thinking about, you know, the quality of your thoughts, like what you're actually thinking about. And Jennifer, I talked about this at the beginning. I was saying that, uh, the other day, I actually practiced some of the things that we talk about.
1: Awesome. That's great.
2: And, and, and I practiced it just in terms of general thinking, general thoughts mm-hmm. about what felt good in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, I was happy in a way that I haven't been or that I haven't experienced in a long time. Yeah. I didn't have any thoughts beyond that or before that or thinking about it or or lightning bolt thoughts that entered in. I literally was just focusing on my coffee, my pajamas, and my table. <laughs> and, that's and that's the name of my new book, My Coffee, My Pajamas, and My Table. Sure. It's a Disney movie. Is that,
0: is that um, yeah. your advice sure. for a – Happy to just to focus <laughs> well, on the present. Well,
2: I'm I'm not kidding. I mean, and Jennifer, I'm not kidding. When I th- yeah. I really think that thoughts that you think millions of times turn into beliefs.
1: Yep.
2: And that and that the universe, the whole world with billions of people, has been thinking non-consciously for so long that we have brought ourselves to a state of chaos, and that's what we're experiencing here. Not not to say that this didn't happen in other periods in history, mm-hmm. but I think the difference now is that is that everybody is starting to be aware of what's going on in their heads because we're isolated.
1: That's where real freedom is. The outer world is often a reflection of your inner world and bad things and good things are happening all the time. But in the moment that you're in, if you can focus on what's good, what's neutral, what's pleasant, and you do that often mm. enough, what starts to happen is you literally start to rewire your brain. So, that it's not constantly focused on negative negativity. And so, good mental health, I think, is having really good emotional shock absorbers, right? You know how to absorb that shock. You know how to think about positive things. You know how to shift your mind into a more positive direction, which most of us don't even know we can do. We just sort of think our thoughts in our head. We resonate and ruminate and, and awfulize in our own heads all the time, all day long. And everybody else does it too. But what you actually do is just take, take that whole principle and just apply it in the other direction so that you're thinking about positive things, neutral things, pleasant things, and make it a habit. Practice that, mm. and you will have more and more moments and more and more days, Ed, when you feel like that.
2: Well, and then I'm going to be a different person and won't be able to do the show. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is the brain tags things just like cash tags. It tags mm-hmm. what you're thinking about. So yeah. if you're constantly thinking, you know, I, I better make some money soon so I can pay some bills, or else I'm going to have to move back in with my parents. And I'm 60 and they're dead, but I still have to move back <laughs> in. Again.
3: That's going to be a tight living quarters. <laughs> no, it is
2: tight, but it's no tighter than what I'm thinking right now. So I just want to, I just want to give people, you know, speak to the skill of releasing chaos. Because what happens is if, you, if you're not really diligent about like, what you ingest media-wise,
1: you're going to think chaotically. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also yeah. chaotic in our own heads, right? It's not right. just what you're watching. It's what you're thinking about, that clutter, that emotional clutter all day long. It has an effect on the body. That's psychoneurobiology.
2: Which contributes to what is going on in the world. It's millions of these thoughts that are actually things they're not, they're not us. They're not who we are, but they are things. They have energy to them. They do. And so, and so we add in this energy, and we have Kim Jong-un run, running the world. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, and listen, Bat, if you're taking responsibility for Kim Jong-un with your, um, <laughs> you your negative thoughts. I think it's mostly my I fault. Mean, <laughs> I think you might, you might be onto something. Yeah. I'm just saying. I,
2: I have to say something to the world. <laughs> it's my fault.
3: Right. Okay. Okay. As long as you're taking responsibility. No, I'm trying to.
2: Um, but, but, <laughs> yeah. but Jennifer, so we, with neurobiology, with psychobiology, mm-hmm. are there things that we can do that maybe are physical that we wouldn't even think about that, yes. that might, you know, that might, and Chuck spoke about, you know, doing physical activity like tennis, mm-hmm. but let's say it's not an athletic thing. Let's say it's something that we can do, you know, in the moment, no matter where we
1: are. Well, okay. Let me give you some strategies because there really, there's so much more that we can do. You know, thoughts are things. That is true. And your body and your thoughts, I mean, the thoughts actually activate uh, chemical responses in your body. So when you're stressed and you're thinking about negative things, the midbrain can't tell the difference between between something you're just ruminating about and worrying about and something that's actually happening. Hmm. Imagination, memory, it's all the same. Real life to your midbrain, to the part of your brain that's responsible for survival, it doesn't care. It doesn't want to wait around and see if it's real or not. It just assumes that it is. The thinking part of your brain, the frontal lobe, is where we can you know, organize and motivate and prioritize and take perspective. So we really um, do need to take charge of the thoughts that we are thinking. Now, there's terrible things happening all over the world, and there's great things happening all over the world. And I want you to think of your attention. I'm gonna, I want to say microscope, but not a flashlight. Right? If you walk into a dark room and you have your little flashlight in one corner, you're only going to see what's in that one corner. But either take the flashlight and put it somewhere else <laughs> right? And start focusing on the things that are pleasant or neutral and watch what happens biochemically in your body. And that doesn't mean you have to walk around not caring about what's actually happening in the world. It just means you want to stop some of the ruminating that we're constantly doing. Mm. We love to talk about what's wrong. We like to think about what's wrong. But if you took that energy and actually thought about what's right, or what is working, that would actually work much better for you. And it would be much healthier for your body. You have to walk yeah. around, with, you know, fingers in your ears, but, but, you know, it's where you spend that mental energy. I do have a strategy that might be really helpful. And this is, this is actually an NLP technique and it's so two actually, that are so simple. And a lot of the things that, that we talk about at are really very simple.
0: What does NLP right. stand
1: for? Uh, neuro-linguistic, <laughs> neuro-linguistic, programming. Okay. It's basically, yeah, it's a way of, and we'll come to language because language is actually a really big piece. Words have power. Right, if I say the word bitch, there's a little shock in your body, right? You feel well, that. Well, if there I was in mine. Yeah. <laughs> if I say puppy, there's a completely different feeling. So words are very infused. We have a collective understanding of what words mean. And words have powerful uh, uh, connections and images and, and energy for us. So here's two techniques that you can try that actually really work very simple. The first one, which I love, is just so let's say you're worried about the election or, I don't know, money or whatever is is stressing, and we all have something that we can find. First, tune in and figure out where is it in your body? Is it in your chest? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your head? Wherever you're holding that. And if you think about it for a second, you can usually find it in your body. For most people, it's your stomach or your chest. Mm-hmm. And then you actually close your eyes and you, you give it a color. There's no right or wrong. This is all whatever your subconscious decides. Give it a color. So let's say it's gray. And then you give it a shape. Let's say it's a square. So you close your eyes and you imagine that you're literally kind of pulling that gray square out of your stomach. You you actually take it with your hands. It's crazy. And I'll explain why neurologically it works later. Pull it away from your body, out as far as you can go with your arms. Then actually let go and imagine it floats and give it a little shove and then with your eyes closed, you imagine that little gray square just moving farther and farther and farther away from you, up up into the clouds, out into the atmosphere, out into space, past, past, past the planets, and out to the sun, and it just burns up, just gets incinerated. And while you're doing this, you want to use your imagination, and you also want to feel like, oh, that feels so good to have that gray square out of my body. Now, it sounds so ridiculous, but the limbic system thinks in metaphors. It doesn't understand language. It doesn't understand words. It only understands the feeling of words. It only sees in pictures and metaphors. And it just wants you to do something. So if you use this technique, just kind of ground yourself calm. You can't do it on a bus or something. You'll look very strange, but you can do it in your, you know, privacy of your own home. Really focus on this. Use your imagination and use the feeling at the same time. Oh, it feels so good to have this out of my chest, out of my stomach you will literally trick the midbrain into thinking, "Oh good, she finally dealt with that. I've been I've been telling her about this for days and finally she did something." That's mm-hmm. actually how simple it is. And again, it's a bit of a training thing for your brain. So maybe half an hour the feeling comes back and you do it again, and the feeling comes back and you do it again. It's still better than worrying. If you have time to worry and stress, mm-hmm. you have time to do this. And the more you do it, the more neural pathways you build, and the more neural pathways you build, the more control you have over the over your brain. And the more control you have over the brain, the more you have those emotional shock absorbers.
2: Yeah. The thing is that you feel the more you feel, the more you feel, feel good now, the bigger it's like broadcasting from a radio signal and you're sending the signal out and you're actually feel just simply good, just simply mm-hmm. okay, simply happy, simply, you know, just very generally happy. And then all of a sudden this gets broadcast and the people you come in contact with, it gets to them. There's a feeling of well-being in the air, and for lack of a better term, it's it's contagious, and I mean that in a good
1: way. In the same way that anxiety is contagious, anxiety is highly contagious, mm. right? We're, we're basically um, it's it's a herd mentality, right? We're kind of looking around, and if everyone, everyone else is nervous, we better be nervous too. That's that's an ancient, uh, very important thing wired into our brains to keep us all safe. But anxiety is highly contagious, but so is joy. Human beings can find joy and love and support in the darkest, most horrible times, and that's really all you've got.
2: Danielle, let me ask you, do you, so you have Oliver, and Oliver's how old now?
1: He just turned 13.
2: Okay, so you have a teenager now. So how do you translate these things to him? You know, how do you parent uh, in a time of great chaos?
3: Well, hmm. I mean, when he was younger, obviously, it was more about sort of shielding him. Well, that was my that was my approach to shield him from life and also from my um, from my depression, to to put it uh, simply. Now that he's older, I'm much more honest and we watch he's not like a news guy. He's not so much into it, but we do watch like The Daily Show together. So I'm sorry, not The Daily Show. Um, John Oliver, we all right. watch that. So he is learning about things and there'll be a lot of pausing for me to explain context sometimes and stuff like that and just having to be more honest about how the world because he's such a positive person that it feels like I'm soiling his you know his cleanliness (laughs) but I also feel like he needs to you know know things so I'm a lot more we're both are a lot more um, sort of honest about what goes on and what's happening in our world and so he's he's pretty aware of everything he also has some friends that are sort of up on things. So yeah, he's not the most, um, like politically inquisitive child. He's not one of those kids who's like, you know, discussing the ballot measures with me or something, but, um, he's getting it and, uh, he's just, he wants to remain happy most of the time. And that's so counterintuitive to my, uh, <laughs> disposition that it's a little baffling at times, but it's very sweet. And, um,
2: that's where what? you and he part company, because you don't yes. need that crap. I don't, don't know
3: need where that he gets noise it from. at all. No, no, it's very odd. I don't know where he gets it from.
1: Oh, I was just going to say that's such a positive thing. That's that just to have that internal emotional resilience. And some people mm-hmm. are just literally born that way. They just agree. are. And that's, that's going to be very protective from him. And I mean, obviously, you have to help your kids see the real world. They're going to find out one way right. or another. And it's better to find out from you. But right. that's that's probably an internal balance that he just he was just born with, and that's wonderful.
3: I also think it's subconscious in on his part that he's you know, I think he protects himself from things. Like mm-hmm. I think he doesn't want to delve too deeply into things because he doesn't mm-hmm. like the idea of not being happy. Yeah. It's been mm-hmm. also uh,
1: only 13. So he can do that yeah. slowly as he grows up and has his yeah. frontal lobe matures and he can handle more information and more, which is why it's so lovely the way you described that you sort of protected them in the beginning. And and that's our job as parents. We we need to protect our children's childhoods. That's our job. That's a very important role. And then slowly as they get older and older, you can share more and more with them as they're able to process and handle that information.
3: Yeah. And I also think it's deeply specific to your child. I just see, you know, Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, some kids are just, they just process, they're just human beings. They just, there's no like one behavior mode for no, each they're all different. year of life. They're all very different. So you just yeah. kind of have to follow them a little bit.
2: So that you see that he's, uh, you know, that he's a separate person and he has his own right. personality that's completely separate from yours and standing guard over that protecting that is a very, uh, you know, important, not getting in the way of that is a very important yeah. job as a, as a parent, but you did bring up your, you, you did bring up depression yeah. and, and I want to just throw this out to the room and, you know, because I think Chuck, you know, I, I can't speak for you, but I think you lean this way too. Depression. How do you, how do you take care of your depression these days? And we'll start with Chuck and then we'll come back to Danielle.
0: Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I can be in, get into a black mood a little bit. One thing I've learned over my lifetime is that moods are like weather. Some You're in the middle of a storm of, of depression or something. At least, I, I haven't, by the way, I haven't had serious episodes of depression. I just have like sort of chronic low grade. I'll tell you my DSM number later. Uh, <laughs> okay. I just have kind of some low-grade depression that sort of always around, permeates, and then it kind of goes away. But I've just noticed that it's like, yeah, I'm having a really, I'm feeling really horrible and uh, everything seems shitty and unsolvable, but it won't tomorrow. (laughs) It'll pass Mm -hmm. this feeling, this like, this this downbeat time. And I will, I'll feel better so I I have that perspective, one thing. And then um, it's interesting, Jennifer, that you were saying you were describing, you know, a, uh, an exercise to help get rid of bad thoughts, Mm -hmm. or uh, things that you or or emotional reactions to thoughts or words. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, my, uh, my shrink, if I can use a colloquial term mm-hmm. um, she she's gave me some um, exercises some tools to sort of extricate myself from bad places I now I find I found them to be because I'm a comedian <laughs> I'm or I don't know if it's because I'm a comedian but the point is I'm pretty cynical so some of these like yours like you know giving a feeling a color and mm-hmm. your body and Releasing it with your hands to the sun. Like, you know, I'm a little, I'm not going to do that or I'm going to try it. I'm going to be like. You could add
1: your own twist to it. You could make it funny. It doesn't really matter as long as you do it.
0: No, you're right. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: That's what I found. But even though I do it and I go, this is stupid, it's good.
1: (laughs) Yep. That's the crazy part. Yeah. Well, and what's so interesting is that that cynical voice is often. Like if you think about anxiety and depression are like nasty little cousins, they're very related and anxiety has a bit more energy to it. You're at least caring about getting away from something. Depression is sort of like, fine, you know what? I don't care, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. They just flip between the two often. And so anytime you have resistance, like that's stupid, I don't want to do that. That's your anxiety going, don't do that stuff. You need me. You need me to be loud in your head so that you stay safe. And when you can mm. learn to recognize that voice and you need it for your humor and your job, I'm just talking about when it comes to your own kind of feelings and mental health and then go with it, use it, use something stupid, use, use something cartoonish. It doesn't matter. The, the midbrain is so unintelligent. All your intelligence is in the frontal lobe. The midbrain is this primal, ancient part of the brain that just cares about safety. It's just the security program that runs in your brain. And it's really done through just doing it over and over and over again. You're literally the architect of your own brain when you decide what you're going to be thinking about. And Chuck, I love what you were saying about it being like weather and knowing that it will pass. That's that's a really important part of managing depression is knowing that no matter how dark it is, it will lift. And when it's a cloudy day, I guess it depends where you live, but you don't suddenly go, well, that's it. We're never seeing the sun again. That was the last time I saw it. I'll never see it the rest of my life. You know that if you just wait, sometimes it could be a long time, but the sun will come back. And it's the same idea with depression. It's this ebb and flow. um, And you can shorten the cycles. You can um, extend the cycles where you feel neutral or better by being the architect and the designer of your own brain. And that's what's so exciting and new really in the field of mental health is that you are what you think about, right? You really are.
2: Now, Danielle, how does this how does this uh, jive with what you've uh, experienced? Uh, because I know that uh, that you've had some you've had your own relationship with depression.
3: Yeah, so I'm sort of like Chuck. I I haven't had like I can't get out of bed depression, which sometimes I'm envious of those people because it's like get it, I'm depressed. Like you could just you know. <laughs> it's more obvious. I have the sort of low grade thing. And then I'll just have certain days where I'm just like stuck. But I I can function. So I appear fine. But in my head, it's just gloomy. I mean, I know I'll get out of it. So I I don't panic about it. But it's it's just not a good place to be. And it's also really hard right now with the pandemic just being, you know, also physically stuck. There's just nothing to look forward to. And I feel like I'm someone who needs things to look forward to. Maybe everyone does. When it just seems like every day is the same, it's hard for mm-hmm. someone who is, has a tendency to be, you know, on the depressed side of things to have a lot of hope.
2: Mm-hmm. We're all living through Groundhog Day, the movie right now. So it's six right. o'clock and we're hearing I've got you, babe, every day. It is a little bit interesting, but like that movie points out so well, once you wake up at six o'clock for the 50th day in a row and you right. say, Wow, well, it's six o'clock. Look, the sun is shining. I've got a cup right. of coffee. I'm not dead. Uh, that's pretty good. I, I guess I'm going to throw out another question to the group. And I was listening to an interview on Fresh Air and it was amazing. It was with Timothy mm-hmm. Leary, who would have been 100 uh, this past weekend. Richard Alper, who is a guy who's mm-hmm. also known as Ram Das, and Michael Pollan, who's a journalist who talks about psychedelics to change your mind. And he talks about the new, like in the 60s, they were at Harvard and they were experimenting. And they were experimenting not to get high, but to, to figure out how the mind worked and to figure out where you could go with the mind. I want to ask everybody, and if you don't want to say that's fine, how many of us are on medication right now?
0: I'm, I am not on any medication.
2: <laughs> there's no need to shout. I'm right here. Well, you're yeah. not. Okay, so Danielle is. I am. Jennifer, I don't know. Probably not.
1: No, but but listen. I also want people. If you, there's a big role for medication. You, the, this the idea is you don't want to have to stay on it forever, right? I want people to know that it's sort of like if you were teaching how to someone to swim, you wouldn't just shove them in the deep end and go, "Okay, now kick your feet and one hand over the other." You'd be busy drowning. You can't learn to swim. So sometimes you need a noodle, like you need a life jacket. You need something to keep your head just above the water so you can start to learn the strategies and you can start to practice. And anxiety and depression are beasts. They like to be fed. And the more you feed them and the more you give in to them and the more you just do what they want, the bigger they get. It's really quite a job to to chip away, just slowly, slowly, slowly trying to take your mind into a different direction.
3: This is what I don't understand because... I've been on medication for years and years and years, even though people say, eventually you get off. I have not found that to work for me. If
1: it's chemical, which is the, you know, explanation, Mm -hmm.
3: then why would you ever be able to get off of it?
1: That's a very good question. And and sometimes what happens through life and through learning other strategies, you're actually changing your body chemistry. Because it's psychoneurobiology, what you think is literally how you feel. Right, it just is. Yeah. So when you are are habitually in a place where you can control your thoughts, where you can realize that you're in kind of a dark space, and instead of being that way for four days, you can get yourself out of it in a, an hour, yeah, um, or half an hour. Now you're suddenly changing the emotional climate in your body, and over time, you may find that you're able to get off. But I also don't want people to feel badly if they are on it. If that's what you need to have your head above water. You can still use all these strategies and make things even better. Yeah, um, and certainly talk to your doctor. I wouldn't be jumping off things just because you can throw a you know a gray box out of your chest, <laughs> right? But it's, it's, it's this is something that you you take on. It can work with, so it can be an end, or it could eventually be something that you go off of. I think the real energy needs to be know that you have the power to control your mind and what you think about and where you go. And most of us don't know that. We don't even, we're not even aware of who the thinker is. But even just to go, what am I doing? You know what, for the last hour, I've been just feeling off. I don't know why. And then you you take your brain just for a second and you find something beautiful. Or you think about a nice memory. Or like Ed said, you're the taste of your coffee or how soft your pajamas are. It doesn't matter. The more you do that, the more you do that, the more you're actually rewiring your own brain. Now, here's the tough part anxiety and depression don't want you to do that. They don't want you to do that. They're like, no, 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 no. You need to be miserable and terrified. That way you're going to stay alive. That's how I know we're going to be okay. Anything you try to do that's in the opposite direction, your depression and your anxiety are not going to let you do that. You have no business being happy. You're just going to be disappointed. So you might as well stay unhappy. That's kind of what depression is, right? If I'm, if I'm lying on the ground, I can't fall any further down. So at least you're safe on the ground because you know, you're at the bottom. Those negative emotions are going to be tricking you and whispering in your ear all the time not to get better. And it's the first step is just recognizing, I know who that is. I know that voice. That's not me. That's my depression. That's my anxiety. Even just doing that can make a huge difference.
2: A two-way street. We don't know that, that our feel, feelings and thoughts, it's a conversation, and you can actually talk back to them. Mm-hmm. That's what is so unusual. You have the freedom to talk back and to relate and to listen and to acknowledge and to move on. I think a lot of people with medication, I know myself, I became very sensitive in reaction to medication. So as a result, I haven't gotten off of what I'm on, even though I know it, I'm not really sure it's doing anything for me.
1: Well, and that can happen with the brain, right? It just adapts to whatever you're on. But, you know, most of us are on some kind of medication, whether it's your, your iPhone that you're obsessed with or buying things. Like we're always trying to, in many ways, and I've said this before, our culture is so obsessed with not feeling. Mm-hmm. And the more you try to not feel, the bigger your feelings get. Mm-hmm. It, that's just how it works, right? So even when you're thinking about your anxiety or your depression as this negative thing, don't think of it as a monster. It loves you. It adores you. It just wants you to be okay. It just wants you to stay alive. It doesn't care what the quality of your life is. It just wants you to not be eaten by something. That that's how basic the midbrain is. For
0: this midbrain, this is like the That's or fight or flight. It it produces anxiety
2: mm-hmm. to keep you safe from something. Exactly. Yeah, to protect exactly. you. So if you knew that it was gonna
1: protect you, it wouldn't be an enemy. It's not an enemy. It's trying to protect you. It's trying to protect you. So even just when you're having a conversation with, instead of a sort of imagine fighting it, which is actually further adrenaline and a further scary image for the midbrain, you think you think of it like a guard dog, like a big dopey dog that just eventually just wants to sit on your chest and lick your face so you, you don't get hurt. But meanwhile, you have an 85 pound dog on your chest and you can't breathe. Mm. It's the idea of like training it. When I work with kids and we do something called cognitive behavioral therapy, Kids are terrified of that because their anxiety is crazy Don't learn all those stupid techniques. That's going to make me go away and you need me. So I teach kids. We're not getting rid of the dog. We're just training the dog. We want the dog to sleep in his little dog bed and wake up when you actually need it, which is when a bookshelf is going to fall on you or you're, you know, crossing the street and a car is coming at you. That's when you need it. The rest of the time it's just working overtime. So even just thinking of those emotions as, self-preservatory. They just, they love you. It's, it's you trying to look after you and it's, it is actually you. That's the really important part. And, and, and it sounds so corny, so I apologize ahead of time, but it really does work. Just love that part of yourself. Literally say to it, I get it. I love you. I know you're trying to keep me safe. Thank you. But I don't actually need you right now. There's nothing chasing me. There's nothing about to fall on me. right? Even having that conversation takes you out of yourself in a different way.
2: If it can happen for a second, it can happen for, you know, a lot longer. Just a little pause for a second, little pause, take a little pause. You know, this has been nice. This has been a really interesting conversation and uh, I want to thank all of you. And I I certainly am going to increase my medication uh, after today. I want to thank everybody. And I also want to shout out to a couple people out there doing great work. If you haven't heard Abraham Hicks on YouTube, listen to what Abraham Hicks is talking about. Neville Goddard talks about imagination. Jennifer introduced me to Neville Goddard. He talks about imagination as a way of life, as a tool for mental health, as a tool for manifesting, as a tool for life. Imagination. There's a guy named Prince EA who is an inspirational leader. He said, the only nation is imagination. I, I love that. Our friend Rini Jane, Rini Jane at GoZen, she has a new book out called Superpowered. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. All resilient skills, and it's really great. And 10% happier, Dan Harris from ABC News. It's a meditation app, but if you haven't heard what they're doing, you're missing something because it's really great. They have a really cool thing about the election and meditation, which I think is fantastic. They're actually bringing Buddhist teachings into how to deal with contemporary issues, which I think is great. And then Tom Knowles is a teacher of mine. K-N-O-W-L-E-S has a podcast called The Vedic Perspective. Really an amazing teacher, this man.
3: Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you both so much. Oh,
3: thank you. This was really interesting and and, uh, fun. Thank you.
1: And uh,
2: Chuck? I'm going to see you at poker. I won't understand it any more than I did last week, but I will enjoy it. <laughs> I'll
0: try to, well, we should get together and I'll try to give you some pointers.
2: Okay, that sounds good to me. And Jennifer, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that you joined us here. That was, that was great. Thank you. Everybody have a great week. Take care. Turn the news off when you can. Volunteer, vote, and keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick. Have an easier week.